We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots podcast. This is episode 163 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso with more than a million things to talk about today. Thursday. We have right? sports Thursday, to talk about. Real Thursday, sports. Thursday, July 30th, the return of the NBA. Uh, we are officially one week into Major League Baseball. The NHL uh, restart is just days away. Crazy news out of the NFL with tons of players opting out. We're going to get to it all here. But Matt, first, I ask you, how are you? You know, we we have. I think I don't think we had live sports because last week we were, or we maybe we had the practice games. We were previewing the MLB season. We're, we like we've we have a week of live sports. It feels like somewhat back to normal here. How how awesome is this? We're we do and real you, games. And if you. Um, and if you hear some yawns during the podcast here, it's because we are back we're, to working. We're both back to work. We're back to both work at <laughs> night. All right. That's it. That's it. It's gone um, from zero to 60 real quick here. I've been, you've been kind of pulling some, some late nights, I know. But it's gone from zero to 60 real quick for me the last couple of weeks since, since the Sox season opened. But it's, uh, it's, it's good to be back and, and working that type of, you know, it, it, means, it means we're getting somewhat back to normalcy here. That. That it is. Um, and Major League Baseball, while quirky and different and with its hiccups, has been so nice to have just back in the lexicon, back in just our everyday, uh, just our, just, you know, the things you flip through on the daily. We're not yeah. just hitting Instagram. We're not just hitting Twitter. We're now hitting the I'm CBS not watching Sports the Office app. for the 15th time. You're not watching the Office the 15th time through. We're you are into the My um, Team you know, presented by NBC Sports. Like, come on. That's it. That's it. Trying to trying to figure out uh, some winning wagers, so, some plays to make, and also uh, see what our ball clubs are doing. We will get to the MLB restart in a moment, but I feel like the most timely news today is the NBA restart coming at you tonight with a doubleheader between the Lakers and the Clippers, likely going to be a Western Conference final preview. And then the late game, I believe, is the Pelicans and the Utah Jazz. Or no, that's the early game, the Pelicans and the Jazz. Okay. Um, but we got we got two games, and everybody's back in action on Friday. Uh, it's an exciting time, and I, I don't know what we're going to learn about these teams that we didn't already know. Uh, the real focal point is going to be on those Pelicans, Kings, Portland Trailblazers, that, that eight seat out west mm-hmm. is really going to be where the drama comes over the next two weeks. Uh, that starts up with Zion and the Pelicans tonight. I don't think there has been a uh, here. Yeah, no, a game time decision for Zion. He, yeah, he had to leave quarantine. the bubble, right, for a family he emergency. A family, yeah, family emergency was outside of the bubble for eight days. Uh, just returned on Friday, cleared quarantine, started practicing with the team. But I think it's a matter of you know having your legs under you and being ready to go. So but for Matt, those guys who leave. You know, yeah. I've, you've had a couple now late for family emergencies, stuff like that. It's not necessarily they have to quarantine for 14 days. It's they just have to test negative twice or is they have to quarantine if, for like a few days and then they can start testing. If they test positive at any point, they have to quarantine for a full 14, 14 days. days and but if I they leave and re-enter, do they just test it Three consecutive negative tests. They get tested upon re-entering and are sent to a four-day quarantine regardless. Okay. Gotcha. Even with, because that's kind of that incubation period where you could be yes. positive, but it's not showing up yet. So okay. if you leave quarantine, you get a four-day sit down in your room um, before you're able to rejoin the team. A lot of call of duty. 
he has cleared that. Um, yeah, a lot of Call of Duty, uh, a lot of uh, mobility, a lot of a lot of flexion, uh, those sorts of things going on. But I, I'm hoping Zion is good to go, as we all are here. But Matt, as we ramp up towards these two games tonight, I, I need a pick out of you. I need you to just give your thoughts on the NBA right now. Um, it, it's going to be a different vibe. I don't know if you've been watching many of the exhibition matchups, but the way they've kind of encapsulated these courts, it's a really cool look. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it feels different. They're piping in some crowd noise, but they have the benefit your... too of not having like the NHL is playing. I think the NHL's done a nice job of covering up their big arena, but like they're playing in the big arena, so you can see the empty seats. Same with baseball. Yeah. Basketball has the benefit of kind of just playing in this really big gym that they can put a couple you know put some jumbotrons around and it's easy to cover up and i think they're 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 like you said pumping in the crowd noise pumping in some music here and there their, their court looks really really nice i think because of that the intimacy of it definitely is yep. playing in the hand of the nba uh, it'll be interesting to see if they you know add anything else to the broadcast differently try some new things I, i'm not sure that they will because the on-court product speaks for itself right now in the nba with all the stars being in one place and watching them get to rattle games off one after another uh, mm-hmm. what are you most excited about here over the next two two weeks two months of nba basketball Matt? I, I think you kind of said it's that, that race for the eighth, eighth seed in the west um, especially when you got guys like Zion and John Morant both going for it. I'm just kind of excited to see that competition. You have the Blazers who kind of have those veterans, the superstars who were in the playoffs last year. That That's just going to be a fun, uh, high-paced kind of sprint here for these last, was it eight games? Eight regular season uh, yeah. games till the end of it. I'm, I'm really excited to see that. Um, I, I would say I'm excited I'm excited to see the guy like the Lakers and Clippers tonight, obviously, near the, the top of each conference, but I think that's more kind of set, and you kind of know what you're going to get from those guys. And like we said, we probably have a Western Conference preview tonight, but just the the competition for those final teams to see who's getting into the playoffs, uh, especially out in the West, where you know one day it's obviously a lot deeper. Uh, I think that's what I'm looking forward to most, especially that Rookie of the Year race, kind of between Jaw and Zion. Uh, they have come out and said that individual award races are being capped right now. It's whatever Ooh. you did during the regular season prior. Yeah, bubble. bubble I guess that makes sense, though, since you do. got a lot of guys probably not playing yeah. still. Okay. Bubble performance has nothing to do with MVP, rookie so of the year. Zach is already clinched MVP, the year. is what you're telling me. Uh, that's exactly right. That's got exactly it. right. Okay, cool. um, for Close me, it. Matt, for me, it's really the second tier of teams that I want to keep an eye on here. We obviously know who the cast of characters are going to be. It's mm-hmm. going to be LeBron and the Lakers. It's going to be Kawhi and the Clippers. It's going to be Giannis and the Bucks. Those are your three favorites. Vegas sees it that way. The analysts see it that way. Woj sees it that way. Everybody sees it that way, which is all well and good. But if this setup favors anybody, it's everybody but them. Mm-hmm. And I say that meaning the playing field has largely been leveled. Yes, those are the three most talented teams, whether you play the game in Los Angeles, in Orlando, on Mars, wherever. Those are going to be the three most talented teams. But I feel like they are brought back to the pack a little bit here, uh, having come out of this stoppage flat-footed. There, there's no momentum. Mm-hmm. It's who has built momentum over the last month as they've been quarantined? Who has built chemistry over that last month in Orlando? And I think that teams like Miami, Philadelphia, maybe you get a push out of Dallas with Luka. Um, There's Toronto. We can't forget the defending champs here. There are plenty of well-constructed teams that if they find their groove, I believe, could really pull a big upset, especially out east. 
we obviously don't know what the 76ers are going to be because we didn't know what they were going to be in a normal setting home away there were two completely different ball mm-hmm. clubs which one of those clubs we get in Orlando I have no idea but they can defend everybody they can defend one through five they're big enough they're long enough they can score the basketball they might have a little deficit in the shooting but there are teams like that like the 76ers who if they are the hot hand they quickly become the team to beat out East regardless of seeding. You know, I'm just very interested to see if anyone could take advantage of this leveled playing field. I So are you going to stick with chalk then? Are we making picks? Are you going to make picks for a final? Um, yeah, let's, let's put it, let's put it, I guess let's put it down. Let, let, let's say, let's, you, let's make our picks. Who do you got? Uh, after saying that, it's hard to go chalk, but it is. Well, I believe, but I'm going to go chalk. No, but I believe okay, that the depth of the L.A. Clippers will win out over LeBron James and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. So I think it's going to be Clippers. And just for the sake of argument, I really like the way Toronto's constructed and Nick Nurse is the best coach in the NBA right now. So let's say, just to be a little bit off the cuff here, just to be a little bit less chalky, let's say Clippers-Toronto. I'm also going to take the Clippers because of what you said with, with depth. I, I think while the, the top-end talent probably leans towards L.A. with LeBron For and AD, sure. I, I think the depth, the way they built that, and, and Doc Rivers knowing how to manage that and, and knowing how to coach a veteran group um, as well as he does, I'm going to take them out west. I'm also going to go away from the Bucks as much as I'd like to take them in the east. They have the best player in the east, but you know, he still Giannis still really hasn't been able to get his team over the hump and until he does. Um, I, I'm probably going to lean against them because I, I like Boston for similar reasons like you like Another Toronto. I, I think Boston's pretty deep. I think they have a lot of top-end talent. And I, I know Kemba Walker isn't quite you know that top-tier superstar level, but when he's on, he can carry a basketball team. Jason Tatum is developing into a superstar. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, they, they have depth there too. They have themselves a really, really good coach. Um, so I'm going to go with Boston. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see, though, out of the East, you look at one through six, pretty much anybody but Indiana. Um, I, I think the Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Heat, 76ers, if you told me one of those teams made the finals, I wouldn't be floored. Yeah, nor would I. I, I really, that's what has me most excited, <laughs> excuse me, right now is that open playing field. And, you know, what you said about Kemba, um, I believe he's going to be full go, but he. It hasn't practiced in full much in the bubble, which worries me. And they're a mm-hmm. completely different team when he's bringing the ball up the court. But I yeah. do like Boston's ability, especially out east, where they're really not going to have to go through Murderer's Row. Um, what, do you, what do you got? The Pacers that are going to give you trouble with that Oladipo might not play. Demonis Sabonis is down. So that's another thing that I'm going to be keeping my eye on here, too, is it's it's been a full summer break for them. It has been a full off season and I know they probably didn't treat it like that these guys I know a lot of them probably stayed ready and weren't off on vacations and doing whatever but I'm really nervous about injury I'm not as nervous about coronavirus right now they continue to have zero positive tests Mm -hmm. in the bubble the bubble is working as long as these guys continue to commit to the bubble shout out Lou Williams Um, different conversation different day but I am worried about a playoff intensity on the heels of a three-month hiatus Mm -hmm. and and that we are going to see stars go down and it's going to be unfortunate and there's going to be finger pointing and there's going to be the conversations of was this worth it did we did we set back x y or z's career because of this that's what has me most nervous i guess about this nba restart 
Yeah, I'm just looking forward to tonight. What time? What time is tip off tonight? Six o'clock. Uh, tip off tonight between the Pelicans and the Jazz. That is the early game. Pelicans Jazz is six thirty Eastern. Okay. Uh, Clippers Lakers is nine p.m. Eastern. So, Let's go. Uh, some NBA basketball coming your way tonight on TNT, but. That will not be the only thing on the airwaves. MLB baseball in full throws. Uh, We've already seen drama. We've already seen teams written off and brought back. We've already seen schedule amendments. We've seen 500-foot home runs, excuse me, 486-foot home runs. We've seen uh, fantastic pitching performances, Matt. We're going to go local here because we are a Chicago podcast. Let's put the season into words here. The Chicago White Sox, they broke our hearts. They brought us back all in a matter of a week. Uh, two and four, I believe, on two the season. Two and four on the season. Uh, we were texting back and forth a little bit. The raw talent is there. My biggest worry of the bullpen and staff has already reared its head. But one thing I did not foresee has kind of been the bigger issue, and that's their lack of mental engagement and I think you could point to the management at this point the coaching at this point they just seem like a little league team that wants to get to the juice boxes Mm -hmm. so I will say your worries about the starting staff have absolutely come true the bullpen has actually been pretty phenomenal Um, they have I want to say our guy Chris Kampka had a tweet something along their last 15 innings they haven't allowed an, uh, an earned run um, so they're actually pitching really well. It's the starting staff and their ability to yeah. throw strikes, especially coming out of the gate. Uh, last night was only the second time in six games that the White Sox didn't allow uh, a run or you know, run or multiple runs in the first inning, which is prior to that they were being outscored thirteen to one in the first inning. I I would love to see it, and I'm sure if I really dug deep enough, I could find it. I would love to see their starting pitchers, you know, pitch first. How many strikes thrown? Like even Lucas Giolito, who was fantastic last night, went six wasn't throwing a ton of strikes. I think he had 83 pitches, mm-hmm. 58 strikes. So that was a that was better. That was a step in the right direction. But outside of Dallas Keuchel, they're not throwing a lot of strikes. And you look at what Shane Bieber did to the, the, the Sox last night. He's been one of a few pitchers to pitch pretty well against them so far. He threw strikes. It, 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 I, I know it sounds so simple, and you have to locate those strikes in certain spots. But mm-hmm. it really just comes down to, even when you don't have it, whatever, Get the ball over the plate. Let your defense make some plays behind you. Walking guys, giving them free passes, the, the is going to. It has already reared its head against the Sox. You saw it against the Twins. That's what absolutely killed them. Um, they they gave them extra outs. They were walking people. And I, I'm with you. That that starting staff has been a concern, and so has I mean, you talked about the management and a, yeah, a lot of times. Because the, not to not to cut you off here. That those sort of things. That's baseball. That's fixable. That's coachable. You know, throwing strikes, locating, see, getting, that getting, getting in, that. getting into the getting into the swing of a season. Maybe that takes a little bit a little bit more time, especially coming off of a stop and start camp the way that they did. Mm-hmm. That's why my, my my bigger concern is the guy making the decisions right now, or the guy that's tasked, the, the the people that are tasked with making sure that this useful bunch is ready to go every day. There does not seem, and you can tell by the you know the lineups that you are seeing trotted out every day. Granted, yesterday they finally, probably for the first time since like opening day, trotted out what I thought was the best lineup they could. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what? I mean, it took them a little while to score, but they also faced a pretty dominant pitcher yesterday in Zach Plesak. Um, I might have said Shane Bieber earlier. I'm sorry. It was Zach Plesak. Um, they went out. Their, pit, their ace 
absolutely shoved. Their bullpen was great. They scored four runs, uh, and, and they won the game four to nothing. That opposed to the lineup that you saw trotted out for game two of the doubleheader where you had Nicky Delmonico hitting fourth, Zach Collins yeah. DHing hitting fifth, and James McCann, who he's only played three games so far this year, I believe, but two games, but he's been killing the ball. He was an all-star last year, and you have him hitting sixth behind those two guys. Uh, the, the lineup, the coaching, it has no it, – it screams of a staff that is still coaching a rebuilding group. And granted, they, they still have room to grow. But with this season, this this is a group that needs to start playing with a sense of urgency, needs to lose that rebuilding attitude, needs to start learning how to win now. Because when they're ready to win, they need to kind of have that attitude, that mentality, that knowledge of how to do it. And they're not playing that way. Going into last night, Nicky Delmonico had more at-bats this season than your 70-whatever-million-dollar man, Yasmani Grandal. That's not good. And the line... It, the sense of urgency kind of tends to fall down to the players from what you see from your coaches. And if there's no sense of urgency, there's no sense of, hey, we got to get going here, that's going to leak down. Yeah. It happens in every locker room and every locker room right apart. A team usually takes on the mentality of their coach. And it's, you know, I don't even think we've, we've said his name yet, but Rick Renteria with this group, uh, and, I, and I brought it up to you the other day just when we were texting back and forth, <laughs> seems like Rick Renteria with the young Chicago Cubs. Like, mm-hmm. really talented team, not being maximized because this coach is the coach or this manager is the manager interim. Yeah. Un- until you find your guy when we're ready to go and put the foot to the pedal and commit to a championship. Do you think that it is the case? Do you think that is the approach from White Sox management? Right. You know, it should be because you look around, I mean, the the perfect example is the one across town they they had the exact manager who did a really nice job kind of bringing the young guys along getting them all to like each other and then when it came time to win they went out and got the manager who knows how to win um mm-hmm. but the white Sox are obviously a different breed similar to i mean they're similar to the bulls because they're both run by jerry reinsdorf they're loyal to a fault and i is as obvious as, as it is that they need a manager that's ready to win i i, I don't expect them to fire Rick Renneria this year um, because I, I think this is just such a weird, interesting circumstance. When you bring in a new manager, he's going to have to quarantine probably for a while and then get tested, and then you're kind of setting yourself behind. So I think you're kind of locked in for the 60-game sprint. But if they don't yeah, live up to I, I was more talking about well, was, well, Yeah, what I'm saying, I, if they don't live up to their whatever, this their potential this year, I am concerned that they won't go out there and get their new manager because we've seen – Last year, year before, there, there's been guys out there. There's guys out there right now. There are guys out there ready to go this year. You got, uh, as much as you and I have talked about it, so everyone in Chicago wants to talk about it, Ozzie Guillen is the perfect manager for this group. He's been out there yeah. forever. I don't believe that's going to happen uh, for several re- reasons. Um, but you also have a guy like Mike Sosha who's out there. He's a World Series champion. We've talked Bruce Bochy's out there. I know he likes California, but money talks, and this is a pretty young group. Like, there are guys out there. And if they're going to do it, I mean, if they don't do it this off season, they're not going to do it. I, I, yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I, I hope that I hope that they can find the right alchemy, the right um, mixture of player, manager, a guy that they respond to, because we see the young talent, we mm-hmm. see the raw power, we see potential now in this group. And wasted potential makes you want to rip your hair out of your head. It is, but um, it's all, it's also been nice to see 
um, for the first time in a while, at least their approach at the plate. I know the mm-hmm. last couple games they haven't driven in all the runs they were against Minnesota. We're seeing what like we talked about actually in the preview in, in the scrimmages. We're seeing professional at bats. They're actually mm-hmm. making pitchers like pitch to them, and, and if they're going to get them out, they're not just giving them free outs. They're not going up and hacking it three straight. Eloy's learned to kind of lay off that slider a little bit. There was, I think, a 2-2 count last night where he laid off a perfect one that he would have chased last year and ended up drawing. Uh, I don't remember if he got a sack fly out of it, but whatever. Um, and also, yeah, you're seeing a, it's been nice a, to see a developed plate approach. Luis Robert. Um, yeah, he has. We haven't. We're seeing. He's kind of scratching the surface. Obviously, he has the one home run that he didn't even come close to getting all of, and he's still heading out straight away. Center is 120 I mean, mile an hour. The, the RBI. His his first career hit had 115 exit velocity. Like, are <laughs> yeah. you kidding me? He had an RBI, a two RBI single last night that was on the ground, but absolutely roped up the middle. He that and this is him. Like, he hasn't scratched the surface yet. Where once he kind of starts to figure it out a little bit. Once he starts to learn to lay off the slider a little bit more than he has, uh, he's going to be a, a problem for the league. He, like you've seen, him, he's been pretty much only seeing sliders and those those breaking balls kind of low and away. Once mm-hmm. he starts learning how to lay off those consistently, he's just he's going to be a problem. He's not laying off them consistently now. Like he still hasn't learned how to do it. He's still like eight for nineteen on the season. Yeah, like he, he's he's good. He's a thing. It, it's it's another uh, it's just another example of there are no empty at bats there are there is no there is no inning where you're coming up and a pitcher knows he can get on the bump throw 12 pitches and be in and out of the socks no this right is now. i know I, we keep drawing or i keep drawing comparisons to it but it looks it reminds me a lot of the cubs when they were coming up when they started to get yeah. kind of good you looked at that lineup and you're like wait a minute who's hitting eighth tonight Jorge Soler's mm-hmm. hitting eighth like it, it, yeah, there is no. I mean, except when Nicky Delmonico's in the lineup, there is no free out. Even Adam Engel is like, I think hitting. He's only had three starts, but he's like five for eleven on the year, five for twelve. Like he's still, he has a couple extra base hits. He's getting on. So there hasn't been a free out, and then eventually you're going to get Nomar Mazzara back, who is going to be you know a twenty twenty five homer potential guy out of your eight slot. So it's um, fun to watch. Well, they need to throw strikes. It, so if the pitching staff throws strikes, I think the White Sox can compete with anybody. Yes, that's uh, that's the big issue here because uh, you can't can't go into two game sets. You can't go into double headers with uh, a division foe and walk out of there with nothing because mm-hmm. that's uh, those are going to well, be damning results at the end of the season in if, this in this sprint. If you look at their depth too, I think that's the their their pitching staff slow start, but their their depth in the lineup. Like you look at Minnesota. Byron Buxton went down. They slot in Jake Cave, who had six RBIs. You know, Cleveland mm-hmm. put out three pretty much different lineups, and they you know took two out of three from the White Sox. The White Sox, on the other hand, they lose Nomar Mazzara, and they're kind of like they're, you know they're scrambling. They're throwing Nicky Delmonico in the lineup. They lose Eloy for two games. Their lineup looks like goes from looking like a major league lineup to one we saw during the rebuild. That's yeah. the other biggest factor right now between the White Sox and the Indians. If the White Sox are not completely healthy. They're in trouble. Whereas if the Indians or Twins are not completely healthy, they have viable major league options in the back. You know, back yeah. those guys up. Uh, let, let's talk about it. You had mentioned the Cubs there a moment sure. ago, and, and their start to the season here four and two. I think looking a little bit better than expectation mm-hmm. had led us to believe. Um, guys are struggling. It's not all there right now. Chris Bryant, I think, two for twenty two. Seven eight. Like, slow start. That like oh nine six or something like that. Uh, not what you want to see out of a guy, and not what you want to see when. 
Um, he's the one who's pining for money and opportunity elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So from an individual standpoint, not what Chris Bryant wants to be doing, but they are finding a way to win ball games. They turn a triple play on Wednesday. What have you made here of the Cubs early season? Um, and I think seeing as how we came with the Sox from a managerial standpoint, what are you making of the job that David Ross is doing in his young managerial career? You know, I haven't watched too many of their games incredibly closely, so it's kind of hard to see how like he's specifically managed, but they mm-hmm. came out kind of firing. Um, you've seen you've seen quotes, heard guys talking about the environment in the clubhouse, and it seems like a, a reinvigorated clubhouse and also reinvigorated Anthony Rizzo, um, which, yes. I mean, he's the heartbeat of that team. He's their captain. We may kind of go as he does. Um, so from that standpoint, it, it seems like he's managing the clubhouse well. I can't really speak to how he's managed ball games. I know Cap was going off the other day about how he was managing the bullpen and leaving K- Craig Kimbrell in too long, and they almost blew a save. But you look at that bullpen, it's absolutely terrible. They like they got like, yeah. K- Craig Kimbrell's their their stud, and even he's you know since he signed with the Cubs has not been the same K- Craig Kimbrell that we know. Um, that's going to be I think that's what we talked about in the preview is kind of our biggest worry for them, and that is. That's coming to fruition because if they don't get starters that can give them six, seven, eight, you know, really good innings, they can let anybody back into any game, which is, you know, that's a problem. These, yeah. If you're going to win a World Series, you need to have a bullpen that can come in and shut it down from six and seven through. And, and the Cubs just don't have that. And they don't really have the resources, the prospects to go out and get that help. And I know the trade deadline, I think, is – I think they said – I think the trade deadline is after a month or so. Yeah, so it's four weeks into the season. A little shy of four weeks into the season. Decisions you're going to have to make pretty soon. Um, yeah. That's going to be a problem for them. But that lineup looks, with the exception of Chris Bryant, everybody's really hitting. The, that lineup's firing on all cylinders, and I think they've uh, quieted a few of the concerns, at least early on. Yeah, you talk about the reinvigoration of things and look no further than Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. But also, I think he looks Kyle, like he's lost about 25 pounds. He looks great. He Javi looks, looks great. Um, and I've been very impressed by uh, by um, Kyle Hendricks in, in his opening outing and just his his ability to command. You know, anytime you got a guy who's fastballs eighty nine and mm. slider or changeup is only ten off of that, they really got to have their stuff. They really got to locate. Um, and I think we saw. World Series caliber Kyle Hendricks there in his opening outing. So if they can get that sort of support and they need that sort of support from the starting staff, as you're saying, with with this lack of um, lack of depth and lack of support out of the bullpen, that's really where they've got to make their money because uh, for as for as good as they've looked and as well as they've hit, we know that Anthony Rizzo as a hitter is streaky and there will be a two-week mm-hmm. A two-week span this season where he forgets how to play baseball. There's going to be a two-week span where Javi's made three errors in two games. There's going to be those moments, and it's how they react to those moments that I think is going to be telling of where the Cubs end up this season. Yeah, and you mentioned Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks is he's going to give you those starts like he gave you on opening day, and then he's going to have ones like last night where he wasn't necessarily his best. But you know what you're going to get from him come playoff time, and usually when you know, the lights are on brightest and in the biggest spots, he usually gives you a chance to win ball games. I think the biggest issue for them is going to come kind of after that. I mean, you they're going to need a lot more from you, Darvish. John Lester was brilliant in his first start. They're going to need kind of that to continue. They're going to need all thing, pretty much everything to go right in their, their rotation, um, but they do have the talent in there for that to happen, and luckily for them, they don't need them that to happen over 162. They need that to happen over just 60, so... 
Um, Matt, before we move on here, you kind of jog my thought process with the way you phrased that. I'm a great jogger. Uh, who, which, <laughs> which of these two clubs do you think is best equipped for a 60 game season? Just, just specifically for what we're looking forward to this season through a week, who has proven to you more that they are built for a short sprint? Uh, I am going to say the Cubs um, because I do think the Sox are going to end up. I think they're so young and they're so the depth just isn't really there that, you know, if they lose somebody for a week over 162, mm-hmm. that's not as big of a deal over 60. That's a pretty, pretty darn big deal. Um, and I, I think we saw how barren that lineup looked without two of their starting outfielders. Whereas I, I think the Cubs have a little bit more depth and quite honestly, they, they have the leadership. They're much streakier. And if you catch a couple guys on a hot streak, that usually is going to last you for two weeks. Um, I just, that that's a more talented group right now. That's a deeper group right now. Granted the bullpen kind of stinks. Um, but everything else I think is more equipped for the 60 game sprint. Plus I just, the AL central looks kind of loaded right now. The Indians yeah. are the Indians pitching staff. I, I underestimated. I think a lot of people underestimated. They have their starters uh, through six games are leading the majors in just about every single pitching category. The twins you saw are still absolutely killing the ball. And Josh Donaldson hasn't even started hitting for them yet. Um, so, so they look good. It looks like a longer, tougher road for the White Sox. And I think the Cubs can get hot in a division that's deep, but not doesn't necessarily have that top-end talent like the AL Central has. Yeah, no argument from me here uh, to any of those points. And to the point about Cleveland's pitching staff, I believe the statistic was that all five of their starters went six innings plus mm-hmm. and allowed two or less runs. It was the first time that a team had done that since 2003 with the Mets and the first time that Cleveland had done that since 1989. So they are off to a pretty historic start, pretty dominant start here as a staff. It's amazing how much you can get out of a pitching staff when they're not walking people. Like that That's, that's just what they're doing. They're not issuing free passes, and you get a lot more out of your pitchers when you're not – uh, you know, pretty much spotting hitters for extra. Uh, all four major sports are in the conversation right now, vying We're for back. headlines. We cannot discredit, we cannot ignore the Chicago Blackhawks or the NHL as a whole. A Canada restart here uh, in Toronto and Edmonton. No, Ed- Edmonton, Edmonton and Toronto. And, the Western and, Conferences in Edmonton, the Eastern Conferences in Toronto. Edmonton and Toronto. Matt, we will uh, open the floor here for a hockey minute on the heels of a 4 nothing win in an exhibition for the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't know how much I, I, I saw highlights. I really didn't see a ton of um, I didn't see a ton of what happened, but I, I need you to make us feel good about our Blackhawks here for a moment. Uh, give us some sort of inkling of hope. So I, I didn't get to wa- – I was working the White Sox game last night, mm-hmm. so I was kind of only half paying attention to the Hawks. But I, I did talk to our, our Blackhawks producer, Slavko, asked him a little bit what he saw. And from, from what he was telling me, it looks like Crawford looked a little bit you know slow, a little bit rusty, but he did not allow a goal on 10 shots against the defending Stanley Cup champions, exhibition or not. That's you saw what you wanted to from him. And and that's as we talked about a week or two ago, whenever I gave, you know, you asked me about the Hawks ability to win a cup. It doesn't happen unless Corey Crawford's absolutely playing the best, you know, at his best. Um, Mm -hmm. This is a a stat that's probably going to surprise you. Did you know the Blackhawks are statistically the youngest team left in the NHL restart right now? They have an average age of 25.7. 
They are the youngest. Which, they are the youngest team. Which I, that that was. I knew they had some younger pieces, but that still to me didn't sound right. Yeah, and it's interesting because the credit to their name right now is their veteran experience. Mm-hmm. Now, in order to have veteran experience, you got to have a couple older guys on the team who have seen it, who have been around. Luckily, those guys are still very productive. In your Patrick Kane's or Jonathan mm-hmm. Hayes's, uh, Seabrook's not playing, but. Your core, yeah. the reason, the reason that you have a chance is because of coupled, those guys. It's yeah, coupled but coupled with some youthful legs could make for some excitement. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like the years. I it, I don't want to compare them to the Patriots because the Patriots dynasty lasted longer. But it's kind of like those years. The Patriots weren't necessarily winning Super Bowls. They kind of had the, like the nine year layoff in between Super Bowls. But they were still always a threat. And come playoff time, nobody really wanted to face the Patriots because mm-hmm. Tom Brady was on the other. It's kind of like the Blackhawks. I, Nobody wants that matchup, especially in a short series, when you know Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves are on the other side. Granted, it, it's not yeah. the same team that they used to be, but that kind of threat always sits there in the back of your head. But they look, from what I saw and kind of talked about, talked to people about, looked pretty solid last night. And they have two rookies: one who's up for Rookie of the Year in Dominic Kubalik, and the other who's their number three overall pick, Kirby Doc, who. Both look like they took the time of the quarantine, whatever time off, to get bigger and work their asses off in the weight room and, and on the ice, whatever they could, working out wise. And they looked really, really good last night. And those are two guys they're going to need to be X factors, need to be guys who take kind of the leap from nice players to star players to legit bona fide top six players. And they're trending that direction. Yeah, um, it's, so it's, good uh, to it's see an opportunity. It's a it's a stress free opportunity for the Blackhawks and their youthful uh, bunch surrounding this veteran core. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I think that they can, you know, if not make noise here, at least gain some valuable experience to move forward with. Yeah. So. And last night again, exhibition game. You can't make too much yeah. out of it, but they didn't lay an egg. They didn't look slow. They didn't look too out of place against the Stanley Cup defending Stanley Cup champions, and that's that's nice to see. And I believe the season gets started on Saturday in mm-hmm. the NHL, so we will be keeping. I think a the Blackhawks have a one o'clock start on NBC. You, you just can't beat it. I think and they're it, what games are starting at eleven and ending at like yeah eleven. It's, it's, honestly, it's like, like a twelve hours of hockey kind of like setup. It's just yeah. like hey, it's, this is just going to be on. Yeah. And you can um, you can catch pre and post game live on NBC Sports Chicago for any Blackhawks game this season. There you go, plug it, plug it. Gotcha. Uh, not to go negative here, but we got to talk NFL and we got to talk about a diaspora of players uh, leaving. See, I don't know that. I can kind of context clues, but yeah, I don't diaspora, know what that means. diaspora. There's your word of the day. Um, it, it was. It, it's rooted largely biblical. It's when oh. a group would be driven. We are, out we or are a leave. Catholic podcast. People forget that's that. it. Um, I think this was Old Testament, though. I want to say oh. the Jewish diaspora was kind of where it was rooted. But well, Bible. I, di- I digress here on the etymology. Bible. Uh, it's when you're let out. It's when a large group leaves, and there is a large group of players, both notable and unknown, leaving and opting out of this NFL season before it even begins. I mean, this is camp. We're not talking about we're not talking about preseason even. We're talking about July camp, and people players are opting out. Um, there is the interesting scenario that the NFL is going to have to deal with that if you are deemed an at-risk player you are paid a $350,000 stipend for the season um, because they that's their way of saying, you know, we can't pressure these players to Man, play that be nice? a, 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 and take the food off their table. So when you have some of these lower-rung players who, let's say, are making league minimum at 
at 600,000 or 500,000, wherever it's at this year, mm-hmm. it's not that big of a drop off to not play football, stay healthy and give yourself an extra year on the back end of your career. Am I saying that's the case with all of these players? No, because I'm looking at a document right now that we have a rolling document at work with all of the names of players that have opted out. And I mean, you're looking at some names that you hear get called on Sunday. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go through the list here for you. Nobody on the Cardinals, nobody on the Falcons. Baltimore Ravens have, have had tackle Andre Smith and DeAnthony Thomas opt out. Buffalo Bills have had their star defensive tackle, star, no pun intended, uh, Lotulele, I believe is the, the pronunciation yeah. there. Carolina Panthers, Jordan Mack, Eddie Goldman here in Chicago, Cleveland Browns, guard Drew Forbes, Drake Dorbeck, uh, undrafted rookie, but whatever. Um, let me let me look for some bigger names here. Uh, John Atkins in, in Detroit. Devin Funches, who was picked up by the Packers to kind of bolster that wide receiver core. He's out. Um, big time in Kansas mm-hmm. City. Two huge names. Damian Williams, the running back, who had a great Super Bowl and a great season their last star, year. Their right tackle, too, isn't he out? Right tackle. Laurent duvernay Tardif, who is yeah. a... Um, Canadian-born uh, physician, like he's he's he had he's fighting this disease front lines, and that's why he will not be playing. I think his quote was literally, "If I'm going to be risking my life, it's going to be helping people it's, not play." It's got to be saved. Like so that, hey, that shout out to to good for him, Hardif, Laurent um, doing doing the Lord's work here. Uh, biggest and most notable, the New England Patriots. Half the team saying we're just not playing. Mm-hmm. Dante Hightower, the the long time. I mean, anchor of that defense, Patrick Chung, who's been there forever, Marcus Cannon, starting tackle, running back, Brandon Bolden, who uh, likely would have gotten some touches, Danny uh, Vitale from uh, which one? Wasn't he a uh, Vitale was a uh, was he North not Northwestern? He was Northwestern. Did, yeah, believe Danny Vitale Vitale was Northwestern. Full back there. But, I mean, the point being, now glass half full here for Bill Belichick. Seventeen million dollars in cap space has been cleared up with all these guys <laughs> leaving. So he's going to go do something with that money. Nate Solder uh, for the Giants is out. Cole Wick, tight end in, in New Orleans, is out. Uh, it, it's it's been jarring to me, not just the number of guys that are opting out, but the the names that are opting out and you're seeing a trickle down now to college football where they're seeing the pros saying they don't feel comfortable playing and some collegiate athletes saying, I'm going to sit out the season. I'm going to go to the draft next year. Matt, your initial reaction here when you're seeing these types of names leave, because for me, the maybe not the depth of the league in the NFL, but the depth of football players in America, there's never going to be, trouble putting players on the field too Mm -hmm. many guys want to make a living doing it so i'm not worried about teams being able to field 53-man rosters or put competitive teams out there on the field but when you're getting starting running backs and starting guards and like anchors to defenses saying we're not playing this season do you think that the nfl's competitive balance is in jeopardy this season um not necessarily because i think most i mean most teams are facing a lot are having these guys opt out honest like yeah not a lot of them are having their superstars you know opting out but you're seeing this throughout kind of all locker rooms all teams and i don't think we're done seeing people opt out unless they have they hit a deadline is there a deadline no, when they have I don't to do it so. by um so i i don't really think we've kind of seen the end of it yet um it's un i don't want to say unfortunate you can't blame anyone for doing it everybody has their own reasons for not wanting to play this year and it's it's just something that all teams are going to have to deal with some teams are getting hit harder but like you said everybody's going to be able to feel the team there's still guys you can go out there and get um and i just think it's one more obstacle in a unique year that they're gonna have to deal with 
Let's uh, let's go Chicago specific here for a second. Sure. How big of a loss is this Eddie Goldman loss in your eyes? You know, Eddie Goldman is one of the nobody talks about him because his numbers aren't flashy because nose tackles numbers never are in a three four. Um, but he is he's the anchor of that defensive line. He kind of holds yeah. things down. Now, luckily, the one thing the Bears have been able to do pretty well over the last couple of years since their defense has kind of been rejuvenated. They've been able to rotate defensive linemen. They've been able to have a pretty good set of you know guys who can be next man up. You know, they lost to Keem Hicks last year, and the defense took a hit, but they were still pretty darn good with some of those guys they had going. Um, what this does for me, though, is makes the health of Akeem Hicks that much more important. I, I think yes. Eddie Goldman's fantastic, and I, I do think you're going to miss him, but I don't think it's going to be something that's going to make or break the defense. I think you can find you know, a rotating set of guys who you're going to have talent around. They'll be okay. But if you lose Akeem Hicks to that as well, uh, this defense, that defensive line becomes really, really thin. There is no real star power on there, and yeah. I, it, it's going to make the linebackers and, look bad. They're going to be you know, kind of ran all I, over like they were last year. I, I can't, I can't speak for Akeem Hicks, obviously, but you can only assume that a guy coming off the most frustrating season of his career, and I won't even say the most frustrating season of his career because Akeem Hicks had a life before Akeem Hicks. Mm-hmm. He was he was cast out by the yeah. Patriots. He didn't see the production he wanted to see uh, with New Orleans. Comes to Chicago and finds his groove, finds who he is, then busts his elbow up last year, has the rash of injuries, can't go. I got to imagine that no one is more excited to play football this season than Akeem Hicks. Mm -hmm. He finally proves that he is a top-tier defender in this league, and then injury takes the season away from him. I, I don't think he's going to voluntarily say I'm not playing football this year. I could be proven wrong here. Oh, no, I, I just meant him. in terms of, uh, of injury. Injury, if anything. Take yes. him off if you're like, you know, tweak an elbow, whatever. I, I, I just think that, you know, like you said, the health of Akeem Hicks was shown to be paramount last season mm-hmm. uh, because the direct correlation to the production on the outside from the edge rushers being Khalil Mack, uh, Floyd, and, you know, we're going to get Quinn this year. It's directly correlated to Akeem Hicks being on the field, and we mm-hmm. saw that last season. And I really, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for his health, and, and I'm hoping that everyone on this defense and on the offense is willing to come out and play football safely this season. Um, but uh, I, I'm in lockstep with you is what I'm saying here. While it is a loss, uh, Eddie Goldman, it is not a damning one at that. No, it's one that they're going to feel, but not one that they can't overcome, whereas last year the one with Hicks was kind of one – you saw was was pretty tough for them to overcome, and you could tell it, it, it trickled out to the edge rushers because Akeem Hicks wasn't there in the middle. They were able to pay a little bit more attention to Khalil Mack than Leonard Floyd kind of did what Leonard Floyd does and disappear for a while. Um, so I don't think this one's going to hurt as bad, though obviously you'd like your, your, your $10 million man in the middle. And, and Matt, it might not be in Chicago, it might not be everywhere, but there are going to be players who emerge this season, and I think more than other years because of the mm-hmm. opportunities that are going to open up. They're going to be names that you don't know. They're going to be guys that you remember saying, oh, I remember him playing on Saturdays because those types of guys are going to get opportunities. And it's inevitable that someone seizes that opportunity. Hopefully we can have a couple names here uh, emerge in Chicago as well, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but uh, all over that roster. That's good to have football back. They're back in camp. It's good. We're getting that close. It is. Uh, it is camp days, and we will touch on that a little bit here in uh, some segments. But, Matt, why don't we jump into a little buy or sell? What do you say? I'm in. Uh, lead us off. Okay, I want to I, – I don't – 
I hate giving credit to Rob, but Rob had a very good tweet. I thought the other day that I'm not sure he meant to. Sorry, anonymous. Um, no, yeah. yeah, it's just anonymous. Um, he said the, the tweet was something along the lines of, "When is MLB going to remove the like the side netting protecting the seating along stadiums? There's no fans uh-huh. on the stands. Let guys go get the baseballs." I actually thought that was a pretty good point. I don't know if he was serious or not, but I think that's something baseball should explore. Buy or sell. The protective netting along the bleachers should be removed and let players go into stands, you know, go catch fly balls. Um, I wanted to buy it, but those are not uh, – I'm going to sell it for two reasons. Okay. One, one being just like from a day-to-day standpoint, that's not like – you're not taking up and putting down that net all the time. That's just like lower. Actual, that's actual infrastructure in your stadium that's been built. So to take it down would – I mean, you're snapping wires. You're doing a bunch of stuff. But the real reason that I'm selling on this is because if you think about – uh, these historic plays of players going in the stand, Derek Jeter, uh, Juan Uribe in 05, making plays Todd into the Frazier first second. Todd Frazier his lip open. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> my, that's my reason here yeah. is there's no fan to – and I know the fans aren't there to cushion the blow, but if you're going into the stands yeah, competing for a ball with a fan – you're running into some soft tissue and not just chairs, not just plastic, not just concrete. Having guys going full speed over walls into empty stands just doesn't sound like a good idea to me. I think that those nettings are more important now than ever from a player standpoint to just keep guys from going in there 100 miles an hour and busting their faces up. Look at you. Just oh, thinking thinking deeper than I am. I mean, I yeah, let's, let's, let's just good. think this through fully before we start ripping down nets. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair point. Okay, I you know you, you swung me. I'd sell it. I swung you. That was an easy point. sell. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mainly because I don't I don't need Yohan Moncada falling face first into a, exactly you know, a, exactly a, yeah, to make that That's to fair. make a beautiful play. Let me see. Let me see some cool web stuff. Let me see someone like. Let me see someone climb the web to get it before uh, they should allow. Is that can you do that? Is that allowed? I don't see why not. That'd be I don't see why that'd not. Be, be I've cool. seen catchers uh, on numerous occasion, occasions this season and last behind the plate leaning into the net to buy themselves like a little bit of space to try and catch the ball. So why, why can't a third baseman do that would be Let's my question. It. I love it. Um, all right, Matt, buy or sell. We got some Notre Dame news here. Notre Dame is <laughs> going to play a full ACC schedule than one non-conference game. Uh, they could win the ACC this season as a member of, of the ACC, but not actually in the ACC. Going to be a really weird season. Everyone's going to adapt. Knock on wood that we have college football. Different conversation, different day. The question I ask you today, you know, so much of this quarantine has opened people up and made them flexible and made them entertain ideas that maybe they wouldn't have in the past. Mm -hmm. Buy or sell, Notre Dame will be a full-time member of the ACC in the next four years. Sell. Okay. Um, Because I think... This season is exactly why there just really needs to be no need for it. Um, the ACC said, hey, you can play a full schedule. You don't have to be a member of our conference. Like They, they, they can compete for a conference title. They have a full schedule. I don't believe they're, um, they're full-on members. They don't have you know revenue sharing. Any, they don't have to give them you know, a cut of their money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I, I think this is actually a perfect reason why they don't need to because – I, I know everybody says join a conference, you need to be a conference. I, I, I don't like sounding like a stuck-up Notre Dame fan, but Notre Dame doesn't because people will make exceptions for them because they make so much money. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I think this is an exact reason why they don't need to really ever join a conference. I, I 100% agree with you because 
it, when things like this happen, Notre Dame is always going to be welcome in your house because Notre Dame brings eyes, Notre mm-hmm. Dame brings money, Notre Dame brings revenue. And yes, conferences would want that full time. But what's the incentive for Notre There's Dame? There's no unless incentive we, for Notre Dame to do it. Unless we go into an automatic bid system where the Power Five all get bids and then a sixth team is the at-large and Notre Dame is forever playing for that sixth seed mm-hmm. or that sixth spot, that sixth team in the playoff. I just don't see a reason for it. Um, they can go play whoever they want. They've shown in the past they can put USC, USC on and off the schedule. They can put Texas on and off the schedule. Everybody wants to play Notre Dame. They're always going to be making the money, and they don't have to share it with anybody. Yeah. I think that you make a great point that this is perfect proof that Notre Dame doesn't need a conference. And I think we've also seen over the last decade with teams that have joined conferences not to compare Maryland to Notre Dame in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form, or not to compare Rutgers to Notre Dame in any way, shape, or form. But there is a, for lack of a better term, bastardization of these conferences when you bring in outside teams and try and fake rivalries. It just doesn't feel right. Like Notre Dame is not an ACC team and we're not going to pretend like they have a huge rivalry with Duke, even though Duke's been on the schedule before. We're not going to pretend like they have a huge rivalry with uh, another team. It just, it feels, it feels unauthentic when you throw these teams in a conference and try and pretend like they've been there forever. I just don't think Notre Dame belongs in a conference. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, the the one conference you could make the argument for is probably the ACC because, well, most of those teams, they don't have too much history. What they do have Florida State, they do have Miami, but also kind of conferences aren't all like there's teams to be reshuffling of conferences, bottom tiers of conferences every year. And yeah. Notre Dame just doesn't really need that. They have this deal Notre with the Dame. ACC where they can play their five ACC games a year but not have to play in the conference. And Notre Dame, I guess to your point there, Notre Dame might um, – they might be – they might not – fall victim to that same idea of like if they were to join a conference that they wouldn't have that these would be fake rivalries because mm-hmm. everybody is Notre Dame's rival yeah everybody wants to chip off the golden dome like everybody wants Notre Dame and that's why you know you make reference to the past rivalries with Miami and with Florida State and now this kind of budding rivalry here if you want to even call that with Clemson it doesn't matter where they go it doesn't matter who they play everybody wants a piece of them that's why I think you know Notre Dame as an independent should and will remain uh, that yeah. status I'm glad. I'm glad. We uh, you got another one for me here. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking, of, trying to think of something, you know, fun off the off the cuff, whatever pop culture ish for a buy or sell. I couldn't really find anything, and I. So you don't have another one? No, for me? I do. But what I was going to say, <laughs> come back to we're we're a Chicago sports pod, we're a football pod, we're also a golf pod. Um, so I just we, we got the St. Jude this week. I believe you said it's in uh, TPC in Memphis, right? Uh, TPC Southwind, Southwind in Memphis, Memphis. WGC FedEx St. Jude's Invitational. There's your full. There's your full, full title. It's pretty easy. Your three favorites, uh, according to Vegas, are John Rom, Rory McIlroy, and Justin Thomas. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you buy or sell the three favorites this weekend. Uh, I'm buying. Uh, I'm buying the three favorites. If you're giving me those three against the field, which I'm sure you could find on DraftKings or something, Mm -hmm. those three against the field at plus odds, give it to me. Even if it's plus 110, give it to me. Um, This is... This is a major type field the week before a major, which is so surprising. We were talking about this on HQ uh, a couple of days ago with our golf writer, Kyle Porter, about, you know, just this commitment to going and playing in the Memphis heat, walking around a pretty big walking track in Memphis. for walking in Memphis for four days before Classic. having to go out to play the PGA championship at Harding Park. It's surprising. And it tells you two things. These players aren't necessarily 
convinced of their form right now mm-hmm. and they want to get as many reps in as they can against the best in the world it's a wgc event so you're gonna get the biggest names 45 of the top 50 players in the world and the entire top eight are playing this weekend in memphis it's gonna fly under the radar because everything else that's going on in the sports world but i think it's going to be a war. I think it's going to be a jam-packed leaderboard uh, come Sunday. I think you're going to see names like John Rahm and Rory McIlroy up there. And I think Rory's got a chip on his shoulder. Rory McIlroy, while he might be this soft-spoken Northern Irishman, he, more than anyone on tour, values that world number one ranking. It was one of the biggest feathers in his cap, and he had it taken from him by John Rahm, who he now gets to go and look eye to eye and play the week before a major, a major that he's won. It's 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 perfect. It's his perfect opportunity to reassert dominance, and that's why Rory McIlroy is my pick this weekend on tour. I don't know if this was a buy or sell, but I'm buying Rory McIlroy. Well, I said, are you buying any three of the favorites? So yes, the yes. short answer is you're buying. Um, other question. When is your boy Tony Finau finally going to get, going to come through and get him? Um, I am, the, the I am, guy, the guy's five top growing, tens this year, eight and three I am in growing to feel, I'm growing to feel that Tony Finau is the... Sergio? No, because Sergio, I, I think he's even more consistent than Sergio from a top ten standpoint. Like, remember... I hate Phil pretty breaking through? Maybe Phil, but like... Jimmy Walker, mid 20 teens. Like Jimmy Walker was in every top 10 from, I felt like 2013 to like 2017. And I think Tony Finau's career will be more than Jimmy Walker. I think he'll see more success. I think he'll win more tournaments. I do think that Tony Finau ends up winning a major just because the raw talent is so unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I mean, Think about the Masters last year. He had the front row seat. He was playing in the final group with Tiger. Like he kind of, for the lack of a better term, pissed down his leg and, and, and was one of the guys that opened the door for Tiger to win the Masters last year. We've seen him do that at major and non-major time and time again. He goes out and shoots 63, 65 during the weekdays and then comes out on the weekend and just kind of floats around par. Mm-hmm. Don't know what the missing piece for Tony Finau is, but... The thing that worries me is how unaffected he looks in the moment. That's a huge that's a huge plus for a golfer, but not when you're unable to get over the hill. You gotta you gotta show some sort of Sunday urgency that I don't often see from him. Like he's always in the last group or second to last group mm-hmm. and watches and either falls back within the first nine holes will fall back two of the lead or will watch leaders boat race by him. There's just no Sunday urgency from Tony Finau. And until he adds that to his game, I'm not sure that we see him win anything. So he's the Rick Renneria of golf. He's got no urgency. <laughs> he's the Rick Renneria he of can golf. Get you, he can get you kind of to the, to the cusp, but can't kind of get you over. But gotcha. we're, always, we're always rooting for Big Tone. Uh, crazy talent and just the nicest guy in the world. So hopefully he does make some noise here. I do think, like just to contradict myself fully sure. here, yeah, I think Harding Park sets up. I think Harding Park sets up perfectly for him. But I also think Harding Park set, uh, sets up perfectly, perfectly for most for of these guys. a lot of golfers, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's going to, I do think that the winning score at the PGA Championship next week, uh, barring weather, barring some sort of weirdness, is going to be around like 17, 15 to 17 under par, which is kind of crazy at a major, even the PGA. Looking forward to it. Uh, Matt, I got one last one for you here. Obviously, oh. big story between the Astros and the Dodgers. First time they play since the 2017 World Series, this series that they're a part of right now. Or no, it was a two-game set. 
last night and the night prior. Two nights ago, uh, games hanging in the balance a little bit. I mean, it was a 5-2 ball game. Uh, Joe Kelly, uh, reliever for the Dodgers, everyone saw it. Brushes back, uh, Correa uh, puts one behind Bregman, puts one over the head of, um, well, who was it? It was, it was over the head of Correa. Yeah. Grandal, he brushed back and put one behind Bregman. So three guys that he kind of sends a message to. A couple were breaking balls. I'm not going to sit here and argue intent. But Joe Kelly ends up getting an eight-game suspension. He is a reliever, so that's probably, what, three appearances for a reliever? Maybe in this season, four appearances for a reliever. Uh, buy or sell the eight-game suspension for what Joe Kelly did. A little bit of street justice on the cheaters that are the Houston Astros. I think it's an absolute joke. I mean, yeah, you shouldn't throw fastballs at dudes' heads, and maybe he didn't go for the head. Maybe he went for the back and it kind of sailed on him. Um, but he got suspended now eight times more than any player. I know you've heard this stat, whatever. No Astros got suspended for cheating and winning a World Series. He got suspended eight games more than any player on their team did. Um, I think it's absolutely a joke. Should he have been suspended a game? Yeah, maybe. But he got suspended essentially 22 games for brushing people back. It's it's an absolute – and his reaction – Walking off the dug, you know, to the dugout, you know, mouthing whatever he did to Korea, Korea doing that. Awesome. That probably didn't help his case, but that was awesome. Um, he said to him, know. and I think the, the words that he mouthed from him, it's more mismanagement from Rob Manfred. That, the words that he mouthed resonated so much. You got to cheat to hit. He said to Korea before those before the bench is cleared. And mm-hmm. say what you want about the game policing itself, but this needed to happen. Now I agree with you. Keep it shoulders down. Put it on the soft tissue. Like let, let, let's not be throwing at guys' heads or behind their heads or anything mm-hmm. like that because that's when you get into you know serious injury. Yeah. But I'm all for any pitcher who wants to put one on the ribs at these Astros. And I think what Commissioner Manfred and the major and Major League Baseball offices did was send a message to the other 28 ball clubs that we will not have this. You are going to be suspended an uh, an excessive amount if you're throwing at the Houston Astros. And be, that's not that's not to support what they did from 2017 to 2019. That's not to co-sign it. It is to say three of the game's biggest stars are on this roster and we can't have them out or injured. That's what the commissioner's office is saying. We cannot have the Houston Astros being thrown at every single night. We need to make an example of Joe Kelly. I do not support it either. Maybe if you wanted to give him four games, maybe if you wanted to give him three games, just get him out of the bullpen for, for a turn through. Yeah. Slap him on the hand. It was too much because it was justice that needed to be served and that justice was not served by the league, so the players are going to take that justice into their own hands. So in a way, the league is the one with the blood on their hands here if anyone gets hurt. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I, I don't know if you saw some of the clips. That, uh, I think it was Oral Hershiser, who's their color commentator, was joking around. I, the, the whole Dodgers production crew, you know, the, their pre-post-game crew, their, their announcers were having a field day with you know the Astros jokes going after them. And I think you know, Carl, or it was Altuve who got rung up, you know, looking at a strike three call. Uh, or Oral Hershiser said something along the lines of, yeah, it's a lot easier when you don't know what's coming. Like, it, it, <laughs> people, it, people, don't, people don't stand for that. Fans don't stand for that. Guys who played the game for 20 years don't stand for that. Opponents don't stand for that. There's no place for it, but it'll always I mean, be – it'll it will always happen in Major League Baseball. And Nomar Garcia Parra, who does their – who does Dodgers studio work, said essentially what you did, like – Hey, if you would have just punished the Astros like they should be, this wouldn't have happened. 
There's yeah, no maybe, place. Maybe somebody there's no place for once. pitchers throwing behind guys if they got that title stripped or if these yeah. guys were all or suspended if, ten to tw- twenty yeah. games or whatever. That, then then, then this isn't an issue. Then people aren't. Yeah. Maybe one time some guy somebody's thrown, but there's not this animosity or as much if they're actually punished. They weren't punished. They got away. They lost a couple draft picks and fined $5 million. If you're going to be critical of, if you're going to be critical of the game policing itself, then you've got to police the game. Exactly. If you're major league baseball. And I think it's as simple as that. It's a great way. Uh, you got anything else here? Mailbag? We got a mailbag. We got a mailbag. Right? We got a mailbag. Ooh. Um, this one comes from big fan of the podcast, Alyssa Burger Mini. Um, wants to know the most unnecessary purchase you've made during quarantine. Now, now I I had a, just tell us, I had a hard time. I I had a hard time thinking about this, but then you jogged my memory. I know. Um, I I don't think this qualifies. I don't think it qualifies. Oh, now you're cheating. You know what? You give your answer first because I'm going online to find out when I bought this to see if it was a quarantine purchase or if I just have problems all year round. So you give well, us yours. I mean, Matt, you, you do have problems all year round, but that could put that <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, when I grew the hair out a little bit, I, I mm-hmm. kind of got to the point where I was needing headbands. And I, instead of just, you know, cutting a, a sleeve off a t-shirt or buying like a $2 headband from Walgreens, I spent like 20 bucks on Lululemon headbands. So it was like $18. Quality. So yeah, that was, quality. it was quality, but like, Hey, I didn't, I really didn't need those at all whatsoever. It was pretty I, unnecessary. I also got a new pair of pants from them cause I love their, their dress pants and they had a sale on them. The ABCs. That's, I, I got, not, that's not unnecessary. No, but well, I, what I'm about to say is uh, I got the pair and they didn't really fit. And I put them in a, like, they were too short, like way too short on me. The length wasn't right. Um, uh-huh. So I put them in a corner with the intent of returning them. And uh, two months later, they're still sitting in the corner of my room. Very nice. So yeah, that, was, nice. Uh, that was those are probably so that's the waste. That's the waste. Both both are um, pretty big wastes. Yeah, this was a quarantine. Mine was a quarantine purchase. Yes, I I, uh, I, I bought a I bought a, a designer sweatshirt because you know, I like nice things, Matt. You know this about me. Well, we I, I like I like statement pieces. I, I like a leather jacket here or there. I like I like some designer goods. I bought a crew neck sweatshirt for for more than anyone should ever spend on a crew neck sweatshirt. It is a one a day Stone I'm going to get you to tell me how much you paid for it. It is a Stone Island. Uh, now, now here's the thing. Okay, I'll yeah. tell you how Def- much. Defend- I'll oh, tell okay. you how much this sweatshirt was MSRP. Like if you were to buy it off Stone Island's website, I bought it on Grailed, which is like a, a secondary uh, secondary you can market. Buy, yeah, like eBay, but for designer clothes, and you can get new. You can okay. Get I, I, I got like it. there's like a shoe app that's like that. I think it's yes, called Goat. That's like StockX, kind yeah. of whatever. I, this is a this was a four hundred and twenty five dollar sweatshirt. That I got for less than fifty percent. I'll tell you that. I'll leave. I'll leave it at that. Okay. So, that's honestly that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Anytime I see a deal like that on some designer clothes, I can't pass it up. And you're going to see this sweatshirt all over the gram come fall. It is a fall staple. I'm holding it right now. The quality of garment is just next level, but it is unnecessary. Yeah, that I will say. Unnecessary. It is. It is terribly unnecessary. Um, but but I'm 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 pretty unnecessary and excessive. In all true. Things. That's so, very true. Uh, so I'm not gonna. So I'm not gonna knock myself for for treating myself during COVID. It was. It was a. It was a quarantine buy. I'm looking at the date here. 
you know, you coop me up in the house for too long and I'm just going to start buying stuff. Uh, not that it was unnecessary. It was actually completely necessary because I've missed way too many putts inside 10 feet. Mm-hmm. But I just bought a collapsible roll-up putting mat. That oh, that's not like unnecessary. This, that's perfect. It's got a, but it's got a rubberized. So, you, you know, when you buy these cheaper putting mats, they always get crinkled and you can't yeah, really get 100%. a great roll on it. This thing has a rubberized finish on the bottom of it that gives it a little cushion. But also when you roll it up and store it, it doesn't wrinkle at all. You roll it right back out, hit it with a vacuum real quick, and it's like like, like like putting on a grain. Also, my house has significant break to it. So depending on how I <laughs> depending on how I set up this mat, Jesus. I can get a little right to left, I can get a little downhill, I can get a little uphill. Yeah, everything everything works to the front of the property here at, at Postmark Apartments Matt. So, so I, uh, I am scrolling through this grailed site, by the way, just uh-huh. kind of seeing what pops up. Yeah, there's some dumb stuff on there. So speaking of dumb stuff, I came across a rodeo action figure, Travis Scott, never open. So a Travis Scott action figure. Yeah. Uh, brand yeah, new mint condition. You know how much you know how much it's going for? How much? Guess. Thousand dollars. Eleven hundred dollars yeah. for an action yeah. figure of a That's, rapper. People people what collect this stuff. People collect this stuff. Excuse my language. Like there's there's these things called uh, like cause statues that people are spending twenty thousand dollars on because they think they're wrong art, with but they're people. Figures. Yeah, there's a lot wrong with people, Matt. So I know there's a lot have, wrong with me. Let me have my designer sweatshirt. I'm, okay? I'm the tip it. of the iceberg here. I'm, I'm the tip it. of the iceberg. I'm still gonna make fun of you for it, but I'm gonna let you have it. <laughs> oh, hey, people, why don't, you, why don't you guys tweet us your favorite, your your most unnecessary yes. purchase? Tweet that us would, your most unnecessary be, purchase. Best stuff we'll we'll read on the air. Best stuff we like, we'll we'll get you on the pod. But I, I need to feel a little bit better about the purchases I've made. I think Joe does too. So why don't you guys tell us some of your very unnecessary purchases? Tweet tweet them at us, DM us, whatever. We want to hear. Them. Tweet them at us. We'd love them. Yeah, DM us, hit us on the text line, or tweet them at us with screenshots of your Amazon orders because. We all we've all been there, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you you go to Amazon for a thirty pack of face masks, and you come out of there with a putting mat. It's mm-hmm. just it's just it's the way, it's of the way world to right now. And <laughs> just, just the way of the world. Just be clear, people. The text line is just a group text with me and Joe. That's it. That's yes. Text line. Yeah, yeah. But but you have our number, so mm-hmm. you got our uh, hit us on the text and line. If you don't, that's your problem. And as always, Moose and Rings fans, we appreciate you guys. We appreciate you getting in the mailbag. Shout out to friend of the podcast, Alyssa Bergamini, for sending that question. It always spurs thought. It always spurs uh, some creative content here on the Moose and Rings podcast. And that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So keep on sending us those mailbag questions. Keep on listening, tuning in, and tweeting at us. We appreciate you guys. As always, for Matt, I am Joe. That's episode 163. Enjoy sports this weekend, people. Enjoy the sports, people. Sit down, crack a beer, watch a game, and love life. That's it for episode 163. <laughs> you're telling me to, I'll do it. Matt, you I never gotta tell you to love life. Uh go out there, crack chase beer. some red Yeah, crack a beer as well. Crack a beer as well. Well, that's my um, day off. Chase some red numbers this weekend. Get out on the golf course and uh, everybody enjoy your weekends. For Matt, I am Joe. We'll talk to you guys next week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>